Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I have with me Stephen Ruiz from, uh, what is it, uh, the USA Today, but it's also for the win. So is it is it like a subsidiary of USA Today, I guess, that you write for there? Right. We're in the network. I don't know if USA Today, they don't seem to know that I write for them based on how they promote. But yes, I probably shouldn't have said that, but we're getting juicy on this podcast. All right. Well, you know, they have to have – they can keep you separate, you know, the mm-hmm. plausible deniability by putting you <laughs> over into, into another area, which I like. You can follow Stephen on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz. Now, uh, when you say that, do you say that like the Ohio State, like the Stephen Ruiz, or just, just roll right off the tongue? Yeah, I, I like to imagine people say it like the Ohio State thing, but I don't know. I made it when I was in college because Stephen Ruiz was taken – and the guy that has it hasn't tweeted in like five years, so I'm, I'm really mad they haven't opened it up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that whoever has the most followers should get their their handle, and it just like the moment you pass them, a notification goes out, a flip happens, all, all, all <laughs> of that sort of stuff. So I, I'm definitely with you on that one as being behind a couple other Kevin Coles who uh, haven't been too active recently. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to have Steven on the show. Now, last week we talked about fantasy. We'll talk about a whole bunch of different things. On the show here, the reason I wanted to have uh, Stephen the show is he put together a piece in the off season, and he does a lot of great work uh, for For the Win. Uh, a lot of great work on Twitter too. If you're into uh, Kyler Murray short memes, uh, <laughs> he, he, he's your guy there. But specifically on the on the work that he does, he combines the film side of things, the football knowledge side of things, and very well integrates some of the analytical numbers that he gets and puts into these pieces. And he did that, I think, a real bang up job on this this series that he put together called. Uh, getting home about blitzing in the NFL. So it was it was a series of pieces, but I thought that a lot of it had implications on not only from a macro view, how you may view things like the pass rush versus coverage debate that PFF has been involved in and, and what's more uh, valuable or not, but just a general philosophical way of whether there could be this this analogy to conservatism on the defensive side of the ball, like there may be on the offensive side of the ball where they like to grind out runs on the offensive side do defensive coordinators too often maybe want to be conservative and allow a team to dink and dunk down the field as opposed to not giving up that big play so I wanted to put all that together there but why don't you just tell me uh Steve real fast you know why did you decide to come up with this series what was the what was the impetus or is this something you've been thinking about for a while when I work on these bigger projects it's usually based on something I just want to learn about football like last year I did a uh big series on coverage and it's basically because I wanted to learn about Nick Saban's coverages and this year was pass protection like it wasn't even from the defensive perspective I just wanted to learn how pass protections work and what quarterbacks are looking at for the snap and that just kind of lends itself to looking at the other side of the ball which is pass pressure and I feel like defensive I don't don't think there's a lot of coverage from from us, from guys like us who, you know, look at the game. A lot of the time we're looking at the offense and I just think defense is undercovered and I wanted to fill that void. Yeah, I mean, there's you you could say that uh, a lot of people on the analytical side have also been uh, a detriment to looking at the defensive side of the ball because. There are things that end up becoming absolutes for shorthand, right? So, you know, running's back don't, running backs don't matter is the big one. Uh, defense doesn't matter. has kind of become a thing. I don't, I don't know why. Um, but it, it's really just saying that 
the consistency that you see in the offensive side of the ball is about is about twice as as correlated year over year or game after game. So you can expect more from there. So therefore, we can believe more what we've seen on offense than we can see on defense. But it doesn't mean that one is 100 percent and one is zero percent. So, yeah, I definitely like digging into to what's going on the defensive side of the ball. And I like what you did specifically here, because like I mentioned, you had a lot of the numbers behind uh, what was going on with blitzing. So if you could get high level here, what were you able to find as far as uh, on the value side, uh, you know, bringing the blitz? Is it something that you think, I mean, can you even answer in a simple way of saying like, this is something that is, is successful and should be done more often or not? I try to avoid like making these grand statements about the game because there's just so many variables, which film guys will point out to you guys when you, when you make these statements. Context. But, it's all about yeah, context. Right. You need context. But like, no matter how you look at it, and it's been the case every year, like when a defense adds another pass rusher, they usually do better. Like they, it leads to more pressure. It leads to more sacks. It leads to just better results overall. And the thing I found surprising was it really didn't matter what the offense was doing, like how many guys they kept in to block, especially at a certain point. Like once the defense sends six rushers, it doesn't really matter. Like it, And I think it's because offenses, when they're seeing a big blitz, their reaction is to just check the ball down and throw it short of the sticks, which we know is conducive to inefficient football. So I that was my conclusion. My overall conclusion was if you don't have – uh, defensive line like the 49ers had last year you should be blitzing more often and if you're not like you're doing your team a disservice and I think one of the clear examples of that was the Lions who were the worst uh, the worst pass rush in the NFL last year and for some reason their their solution to that was just sending three-man rushes more than any other team in the league and I just thought that was just I, I don't understand the, the thinking behind that and the numbers ended up backing it up well, let's let's try to dissect some of the thinking behind that. So, I mean, I, I mentioned briefly this idea of maybe conservatism, meaning right. um, not wanting to give up the big play, but being willing to give up a lot of small plays. How much do you think that truly plays into the thinking behind uh, defensive coordinators saying, I- I'm not going to send an extra guy, despite the fact that it looks like the numbers say that's the way to go? I think that has everything to do with it. Like we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was the way of playing defense. The Tampa 2 was popular. It was bend but don't break. Like give up completions in front of you and then rally to make tackles. The problem is offenses have gotten so good at taking advantage of those underneath throws. And they're efficient enough now where they could string together 10 play drives. And it's not really as much of a challenge as it was in, say, the 90s when teams weren't really proficient at throwing the ball short. I I think the offenses have evolved, but the defenses are always at least a few years behind. And I think we're seeing that. And at the college level, which is what I look at, at in the last part of the, uh, the series, you're seeing that like guys that send more pressure, they're the most you know, notable defensive coordinators at that level. I'm thinking about like guys at like Clemson, Brett Venables. He's a guy that just is known for sending relentless pressure. And I think the NFL needs to do what they did on the offensive side of the ball, look at the college level, see what is working down there, and then adapt because that's what offenses are doing. I mean, is there, a, is there an element on the college level, um, especially if you feel like you have a, a great offense? I mean, we see things like the Big 12 and other places where it's such a shootout that, you know, if you give up that 80-yard touchdown right. – you're like, I'm just going to go get it back, basically. It's not, there also isn't as much of a, of a perception there. So do you think that that plays into it, like thinking on the offensive, having more confidence in the offensive side of the ball also? 
Yeah, I definitely think that. But when you're playing a team like the Ravens or the Chiefs, they're basically putting up video game numbers. So maybe you should adjust your thinking and start thinking like those Big 12 teams are the teams that do send pressure and aren't just playing bend but don't break because there's going to be a lot of bending. But when you play these good teams with these great quarterbacks, there's going to be a lot of breaking, especially in the red zone. And Like no matter who – and a lot of NFL teams have good quarterbacks. This isn't college football where there's like maybe a handful of guys that have a chance of playing in the pros. Like every guy is a pro. Well, what you mentioned how things are changing in the college side, and I think there may be an analogy to on the offensive side of the ball. A lot of things that were initially perceived as they didn't work at the NFL level, level either because the defenses they're facing it wouldn't work against the talent that you have at the NFL level is just different. How much of that plays into how the NFL is is doing things versus adopting more of these unique schemes that, that are at the college level? I really don't agree with that line of thinking. Like it makes sense, but talent is relative. Like, yes, you're not going up against NFL talents on Saturdays every week, but you don't have NFL talent at your disposal either. Like you have a couple of blue chip guys and like teams like Alabama, they don't even count. Like you just can disregard them. So I think it's all relative. I think football is just football. It's a numbers game at the end of the day. And I think pass rush is just emblematic of that. Like it's about getting the right numbers in the right place. And I think that's what defense is all about is like putting numbers in the right place where you're not getting exploited elsewhere, but you're taking advantage of a numbers advantage somewhere else. Okay. Well, let's, let's think about this in terms of the pass rush versus coverage type Mm -hmm. of uh, type of debate. Now, maybe just for a little, little primer, um, Eric eager here, who is a fellow data scientist, he looked through our numbers and he found I guess the first point being uh, a much higher correlation between coverage grades that a team has for a game and whether they win or not uh, versus pass rush. And if you want to think about it on a conceptual basis, you could say that at least the way that we grade, and I, I think this plays into it too. I don't think it's, it's just as simple as that because the grades don't encompass everything. The way that we grade, you get a positive grade for breaking up a play. So it's really always tied to what is a positive event for the defense, uh, a pass breakup or an interception. So whereas for when you're rushing the passer, you can have a positive play. You can beat your your man. But as we see more often, and as you mentioned, quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball so quickly that not only might you not get a hit or not get a sack, but you might not even really pressure the quarterback enough to to really uh, affect the play. So how do you think when we're thinking about that, that whole thing there and, and the valuation of those things, do you think like bringing the blitz more also could say, I guess one of two things, a, does it add more value to the guys you have on the back end who have to cover for that essentially? So it's another it bolsters that and B, does it take away from the value of your, your dominant pass rushes? Because what you're trying to do with the pass rush is you're trying to, to scheme and you're trying to react as opposed to just beat your man one-on-one. Like my thinking on the whole coverage versus pass rush debate kind of changed when I was researching this. Like when you're listening to coaches talk about it, they talk about how like everyone would send pressure if they they thought it was safe, but it's not safe. Like you look at New England, they send a lot of zero blitzes, but they also have a cornerback group that's just stacked with talent. So they can do that. Like a team like the the, uh, Washington, for instance, they can't do that. If they send blitzes every time, they don't have the cornerbacks to hold up. Right, And then from the other perspective, like I was listening to Kyle Shanahan talk, I think it was on Chris Sims podcast. And he was mentioning, he was explaining why he chose the Seattle style of defense, where they're going to play zone and rely on a four man rush. 
And he says when you have that four-man rush, which is hard to build, that's why you don't see it a lot, when you have that, you could be more sound on the back end. But when you need to start sending extra guys, that's when you can't be sound on the back end and teams can start to take advantage. So I think there is some value in building a four-man rush that you know is going to get home no matter how many people you send. I, I think we have started to undervalue pass rush over the last couple of years because of that. We don't think about, like for instance, the PFF study. Based on what I know about how you guys do defensive back grades, it's mostly based on what happens and not really right. based on the, the job of the cornerback, for instance, on that play, which is why I think Jalen Ramsey has never graded out like as an elite cornerback because when he was in Jacksonville, he was playing on an island by himself against the best receiver every week. And that wasn't really factored into the grade. If he got beat, he got docked by you guys. If he didn't get beat, it was just it wasn't like he got extra credit for sh- shutting down Tyree Hill on an island. So that kind of like works into that. Like if you have a defense where you're rushing forward, like the cornerback's job is going to be easier. The pass rush might look like it's doing a better job, but the cornerback is getting or the cornerback's job is easier while the pass rush has a harder job and vice versa when you're in a defense that blitzes a lot. So it's kind of hard to, to balance those things, which I think you guys freely admit. And that's why I don't think we can make these grand statements like this is what your team should do. You got to look at personnel, at least on defense. You got to look at your personnel and then decide whether you should be blitzing more, whether you should be rushing four more, whether you should be playing zone more, playing man. I don't think there's any easy answers on defense. And I, I do think the nerds are like, that's basically what they say. Like defense, maybe that's why you guys don't cover it so much because defense is just such like a wild, it's like the wild west. Like you never know what's going to happen year to year. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it, it, it's just much, it's much more difficult to figure out. But it's, it's funny you mentioned the Shanahan uh, interview because I mean, as as you said, he thought from an offensive perspective, as someone who's a play caller running an offense, that um, that sort of sound scheme was really the most difficult to face because you had to execute over and over, over again against it. But doesn't that kind of go against what we were talking about earlier? I mean, mm-hmm. could this be? Even you know, I know that you're a you're a Shanistan and you <laughs> and, and you love the guy, but can there be this perception versus like what what actually ends up being a macro view? I mean, let's say um, that this may happen with the Chiefs' offense, probably sometimes. You know, some we say that they're unstoppable, but at the same time, they're this quick strike offense, so they can go. It's possible that they can be shut down for a half, and then they can throw up you know three big touchdowns on you. Whereas you know, overall, that might actually feel better than having them consistently move the ball down the field the entire time and consistently defeat you on a play-by-play basis. But in reality, they're going to score more points the first way than they were going to score the second way. Do you think any mm-hmm. of that can, can fall into where, where this feeling about each micro play uh, clouds the feeling about the, the larger macro view of what you should be doing? No. Yeah, I think you're right. That's why I try to, avo- I try to avoid saying, making these grand statements, like even with the 49ers and what Shanahan is saying, he still admitted like it was very hard to build that defensive line and you need that defensive line for that approach to work. They had to lose a lot of games, use a lot of high draft picks on those guys. Like how many defensive lines are like that in the league? They're like two or three, which is why you can't just rely on it. You can't just say, Oh, this is the defense we're going to build. You can't bank on being able to build that. Even if you have a top five draft pick every year, because we know how unreliable the draft is. Yeah. I mean, and also another factor that's come into play. And I think, the Miles Garrett contract somewhat at 25 million a year 
um, which is for a player, you know, who was just suspended, um, who was probably you're getting him cheaper now than you would have gotten him next offseason. Uh, the Joey Bosa contract, $27 million a year. I mean, that I mean, that's quarterback money, right? So I, that's starting to play into I think that plays into the discussion also is not only is it difficult to draft it, but it's difficult to retain it going forward. I mean, we saw DeForest Buckner was kind of given off in a way because he because he was so expensive and they got some draft capital for that. So I think that's another part of playing it. Like, how do you think that fits into the, the into the equation? Because, you know, a big quarterback contract and a Joey Bosa contract at the same time, I'm not sure if you can even if you can even do something like that. Well, I mean, you can or, or have enough pieces to go around it, essentially. Yeah, no. And I, I, I think I touch on that in the, in the series where I say, like, it's not only hard to build, but it's hard to keep it together. And it's kind of like just a microcosm of defense as a whole. Like teams have a hard time keeping all these defenses, defensive players together. And defense is a thing where, like, if you're you're only as strong as like your weakest link. We saw with the Jaguars, uh, the Bears defense is still good, but they're trending down. The Jaguars just fell apart in what two years. 49ers could possibly fall apart in the next couple of years. I think it's it's terribly hard to build a defense like that. Just to play through your defensive line, it costs a lot of money because it the nerds might not think like a valuable defensive end is worth a lot of money, but NFL teams still seem to think that. Obviously, they just paid Bosa, like you said, quarterback money. That just makes it all the more difficult and if I was starting a team from scratch, I definitely would not take the approach Shanahan and Lynch did. I would not hire a Seattle guy. I would hire a guy that has shown that he could scheme around a lesser defensive line and knows how to build a defense from the back forward. I think that was my main takeaway. Like it, it, it did strengthen my belief that that's how defenses should be built. But I did see the value of having a defensive line and maybe overpaying for a defensive line like the 49ers have done. Okay, so we have the the Patriots who you mentioned. Uh, you've written about the Ravens specifically with Earl Thomas just leaving. Do you put the Ravens into that into that same category? I mean, we talked about them blitzing a lot. Do you think that's something that was consciously built in that way? I think yeah. Like you have to say that they haven't really made any efforts to pick up an elite pass rusher, and they're always whenever like when Yannick and Gakway for when everyone's saying who's he going to get traded to, like the Ravens were floated out there. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. Like they let Zay Smith walk. They have always let edge rushers walk. They let Terrell Suggs when he was still productive walk last off season. I think they realize they have a guy in Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator. They have a guy who, who could just drum up pass rush by drawing it up on a, on a whiteboard. Like they don't have to worry about paying those guys. They can focus on the back end of the defense. And when you have those guys back there, then you can afford to do more creative stuff. And they were one of the more creative teams in terms of pass rush. And what, what do you think? I mean, you can't attribute it to one or two things, but what do you think was the key as far as that defense turning things around, around, I don't know, <laughs> about five weeks into the season and how it seemed to work? I mean, were they actually working differently? Was it the opponent that they were facing? Was it, you know, luck not giving up big plays like monster runs to Nick Chubb and things like that that are happening to them earlier? Right. Yeah. I wrote about this, I think, around week 10. And obviously luck has to do with it. it oh, luck's always a factor in defense. But schematically, the things they did, they increased their blitz rate. Like, obviously, they led the league in blitz rate, and they were blitzing heavily those that first month, but they weren't blitzing as heavily. They really stood out after that. And I think it really started after the Chiefs game early on because they could not get any pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and he had all day. He just picked them apart. So I think they started blitzing more, and – 
they moved Earl Thomas closer to the line of scrimmage, which I think like makes sense with blitzing more because that means there's going to be shorter throws and you want to have a guy with good instincts who reacts quickly closer to the line of scrimmage where he could affect those plays. And I think that's what he did. He, in the first month, like he was playing basically how he played in Seattle where he was just a center fielder. But later on in the season, he was playing like almost at linebacker depth. He was much closer to the line of scrimmage and he was jumping a lot of crossing routes, a lot of shallow drags. Like he was taking away all those passes that are known as outlets for teams trying to beat the blitz. For a team that doesn't have, you know, a Gilmore, doesn't have a, uh, an Earl Thomas and a Humphrey and all these guys that, who can play there. And maybe they don't have a Joey Bosa also, mm-hmm. which a lot of teams fall into this category, right? And they don't have uh, Nick Bosa and those guys up front. Then what, 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 do you, what do you think you're doing? Because that would probably be the dilemma that's facing the majority of defensive coordinators out there is to say we have, a, we have a couple of pieces that are not at that elite level and then we have a lot of guys who are guys, basically. That's what I think it was part three was about is focused on the Titans and Dean Pease, who's now retired, but he was the king of what are known as simulated pressures or creepers. If you want to sound a little bit cooler, which have become all the rage at college. That's one of the trends that I think NFL teams really need to adapt. And they started using them more last year. Like I had the, the numbers on that and the EPA numbers, and they were a lot better than your standard four man rush. And it, Mind you, it is still a four-man rush, but you're sending like a blitz pattern where you're dropping a defensive end and maybe sending a safety or a linebacker. So to the quarterback, like he's seeing a defensive end drop, he's seeing the safety come, and he's thinking blitz right away. The protection is probably thinking blitz. So you, can, you have a, a chance to fool the offensive line, you're fooling the quarterback, sending him into panic mode early. And you're, so basically you're getting all the benefits of a blitz, but you're still sound on the back end. You can still play a conservative zone defense, like a cover three, a cover two tactics that teams that aren't as talented tend to use. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds and the numbers show it. Like it was better than four man rushes. I think it was even better than blitzes. Teams were just very good at like a team like the dolphins. They were very good when they sent these creepers and they sent them a fair amount. Maybe they should have sent more, but the teams that tend to do it are like the Patriots did a lot. The Broncos did it a lot the Titans and the Lions, five coaches that you kind of associate with being smart defensive coordinators. You had Vic Fangio, Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, Dean Pease is a good, a good coordinator. Matt Patricia has been a good defensive coordinator. He's not so much a, a great uh, head coach, but when you look at the, the leaderboard, it's all the top guys up there. It's funny that you mentioned the Dolphins because that reminds me, I think you may have been some, one of the leaders pushing back against this was that um, I don't remember if it was a Monday night game or Thursday. It was an island game where the Dolphins sent everyone. And then um, I, th- I think it was Rudolph. I can't t- Rudolph, Duck Hodges, like whoever, <laughs> whoever was in there. And they, they hit, I think it was Deontay Johnson or someone on a crosser. And he just took it all the way because there was no one there. And then it was as, oh, they're tanking. <laughs> they did this on, on purpose. So I mean, that's kind of encapsulates some of what we're talking about, though, right? When it goes wrong, it looks bad. And you're bringing attention to yourself, essentially, for right. the fact that you that you fucked up in that circumstance, right? Yeah, and that's why defensive coordinators don't like sending blitzes because when you play cover two and you get beat, no one's going to blame it on you. They're going to blame it on the player that busted the coverage. But when you call a, a zero blitz like Flores did, people start to think that you're just giving games away, which I don't think is the case. I just think it was a bad play by the secondary. Like he was trying to do what he did with the Patriots. Like that's why he got hired because what he did with the Patriots – 
And one of the main things he did with the Patriots when he took over for that one year was send more blitzes. So it was kind of weird that he was getting flack for that because, I mean, that's why they hired him. And overall, him getting creative with pass rush, that's the only time the Dolphins were good at defense. Otherwise, they were the worst defense in the league. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't do such a good job in the second half of the season if they were, if they were trying to take those. So, <laughs> so I, I don't think they were actually, actually doing that. Um, okay, another piece that I want to highlight of yours that just came out. And again, you know, we, we can't get enough quarterback stuff, obviously, because those are, those are the only players that matter on the football field. So we might as well focus on them the most here. So we're talking about the rankings here. I have a few questions for you. So you came out with rankings. I think they align fairly well with what consensus would be here or there. There may be some things there, but why don't you talk to me a little bit about your process for ranking them, um, whether this is backward looking, forward looking, all that stuff. Uh, it's, I mean, I guess it's backward looking in that I use last year's film to kind of base them on and it's completely film based. Not that I don't think there's any value in the numbers. I'm someone that leans on them heavily when I write, but you can get stat based rankings anywhere. It's just, I just wanted to do my own thing and just base it off film study. And I think that's why there is some like differences in popular thinking. Like I, I'm a person that I will be one of those people that says like, we need more context. You need more context. Like when you just throw out these stats, but I also understand like at, at the end of the day, you need to have numbers to back it up. And so I would say maybe that influenced me where like, say a guy like Rogers, I think you can watch Rogers tape and be like, this guy is still very talented, but in the back of my mind, I'm hearing guys like you and Ben Baldwin. And I'm just thinking like, he's no longer that guy. Like it shows up in the numbers. So I, I had no choice, but to put him seven. And I kind of mentioned in the post, like no matter where I put him, I was going to have someone mad at me, but I think I'm kind of in the middle of those two where I'm fighting myself to like, not just lean on numbers, not just lean on film study. I like to joke that I'm like in that sweet spot where I'm too dumb to really do the numbers on my own. And I don't know enough about football to really process the film on my own, but I'm in that sweet spot where I could plead ignorance either way. And I don't know. I, I, I liked how they turned out. I know there were some issues people had, but I think that makes no. for better rankings. <laughs> never, never, never do people have issues. Well, you know, I, I think, I think it's kind of good to like, say you're, you're a little bit not maybe less knowledgeable here, a little bit less knowledgeable there. Cause I think with those two things can come a lot of overconfidence and opinion. And yeah, you mentioned yeah. Uh, Ben Baldwin, number one, uh, Aaron Rodgers hater. I'm definitely not on that, on, on that level for Rodgers. but let's, let, let's talk about some of these rankings and a couple of things that I want to talk about. I have some ideas. They may be a little too far. Some takes that may be a little too far out there. One of them that I've been working on, I've been workshopping, is um, that Russell Wilson, at this point in time, could be a little overrated right now. Could be a little overrated right now. And the reason, so, so the reason I think that is that um, he is generally seen as being this consensus number two quarterback, right behind Mahomes. Um, Mike Sando had a piece for the Athletic where he pulled fifty executives. Uh, all 50 said that he was a tier one guy uh, tied with Mahomes for the top. Um, a year ago, it was about 50, 50 between tier one and, and tier two. And then even when we're looking at your rankings, you know, a year ago, he was, he was a little bit fur- further back. He was behind some of these, uh, some of these older elite uh, guys like Rogers breeze and Brady. So how much of Wilson's ascension do you think to this spot where people see him as being like a one B to Mahomes, how much of that do you think is the fact that we've had this falling off of other elite options 
and there's just no one else there really to compete versus he is really at that level. Because I, I guess I kind of see him as being further away from Mahomes and closer to someone like a Lamar Jackson than in value than than how most people see him, which is very close to Mahomes and everyone else's. There's a huge gap to everyone else. I think I agree with you. At one point last year, when but Mahomes was injured last year, middle of the year, and I, I did quarterback rankings in the middle of last year, and I had Wilson first. And I don't regret doing that. I think he was clearly the best quarterback at that time because Mahomes was hurt. But I, I agree with you. Like Mahomes is in his own class. He's in his own stratosphere. And I do think a lot of it, like his ascension, is based on these older guys falling back. Tom Brady is not who he was. Drew Brees, still very good, not what he once was. And obviously Aaron Rodgers. I'm happy that you gave me this platform to kind of add on to your spicy Wilson take. I do think we're at a point where – I'll say this. He benefits from the perception that the, the Seahawks are just like incompetent when it comes to you know, offensive play calling. There are certain things that he's not good at as a quarterback, like that you would expect a traditional quarterback to be good at. Like he is very, he's so consistent and good at it that I can't even say it's a weakness, but he's still a guy that's going to run from a clean pocket. He's still a guy that's going to miss some open receivers because he's panicking in the pocket. So he's, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that to be like Tom Brady, where you could just let him throw it 14 times in a row. And you know, you're going to keep the chains moving. Like Wilson, there's a lot of variance there. Like he's going to take a long sack. That's going to kill a drive. He might miss a read where a guy was open and he's going to miss out on an opportunity to keep the chains moving. So I do think that, it's almost a benefit to his reputation that the Seahawks aren't a team that's kind of modernized their approach. And I think it's hurt the Seahawks team as a whole more than it's hurt Russell Wilson's production and his reputation. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of things. So, I mean, he plays somewhat of a higher variance game because he throws a lot of these long passes, which are completed. So he gets, gets there. But I also think, I think you're right that the perception issue is, um, you know, Seahawks were not, were not nearly as good as their record. They had, they weren't last year. Uh, they probably weren't the year before also. So when you win games and you can't, there's normally a lot of it gets thrown to coaching when, when, when teams win games that they're not supposed to win. But in this case, like you said, the perception of the coaches are that, that they're idiots and they don't know what they're doing and they should be letting Russ go. So I, yeah, I do think he soaks in a lot of the, the difference where people say not that great of a team, great results, uh, great highlight reel for, for Wilson himself. And that kind of all stirs together to put him, put him into that category. So, so I, I agree there. Now, another guy, who I'm not, you know, I've gone, I've flipped so many times on Dak Prescott, my, my opinion on him. Um, but I think now he is, he, I think he could be potentially a little bit overrated only because, and, I, and I'll, I'll quote you to you so that, so you can, you could hear it here in 2019 uh, for the, for the quarterback rankings where he was down at 16th. Now he's at fifth in your rankings. You said he's never going to be an elite quarterback. And I mean, it depends on how you define elite, right? But I think there may be some truth in that. But I think his perception, this is the furthest I've, I've seen him jump forward, despite the fact that he had such a great rookie year. I mean, he is really, I think he is seen as being elite or elite light now by a subset of analysts, at least. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you said about Wilson, where it was more the guys falling back than Prescott taking a huge leap. Right. I was down on him going into last year. I, I'm like you, like I've flip-flopped on him so much. Like if you go back to 2016 when I was writing about him, I was just all in on him. I didn't think he was going to regress at all that second year, like performance-wise, not number numbers-wise. That was obviously going to happen. But 
I do think he's a quarterback that's he has a ceiling, but I think he's maxed out that ceiling at this point. I'm not sure if he's going to go any higher than he has this past year because I like you watch his film and you talk to people that also watch his film. It's just hard to find anything that he's really bad at. Like he at one point in his career, like accuracy wasn't really there. His footwork was kind of bad. Although I'm I'm not an expert in that, so I try to shy away from commenting on someone's footwork unless it's obviously bad. But he's just sharpened every tool in his box. Even like pre-snap, he's gotten better, and he was always strong at that. And I think that, like when I said that he's never going to be an elite quarterback, I shouldn't have said that because elite is kind of like it's a relative term. Like, but I still stand by. He doesn't have that talent level of the elite guys we've seen in the past. Like he's not peak Rogers, he's not peak Brady, he's not peak Breeze, he's not even peak uh, Russell Wilson. So I stand by that statement, but you could see it. Well, I mean, I shouldn't have said it, but yeah. That's okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll quote it and put it out on a tweet or, <laughs> or something for, for, for you. But um, okay. Well, how much does this play into um, – yeah, I think for him, one of the big factors has come is this whole like supporting cast, right? Everything is everything is supporting cast. So, like, how much does that read into when you're looking at a quarterback? Because obviously, the results are going to change year from year. There's a bunch of different reasons for it. Do you think that he he really has the supporting cast advantage that people seem to uh, attribute to him? Uh, I I really don't like Amari Cooper is a good receiver, but we've seen him play with another app like Derek Carr. I am not a fan of Derek Carr's game. If you've seen my tweets, you understand that. But he's an average quarterback, and we saw how his production just fell off with Derek Carr and then what it's been since he's joined the Cowboys. But who are the other guys? Like Michael Gallup, we've never seen him with another quarterback. Randall Cobb was quietly productive last year, and everyone just assumed his career was over when he left Green Bay. I don't really get like where this perception comes from. I think it's based on that offensive line when he first got there. It was – the consensus best offensive line in the league, but it's been a long time since that's been the case. I don't think they, they're still very good, but there was a time when they kind of dipped down and they've kind of built themselves back up. While Collins has gotten better. They had some question marks on that right side of the line, but they've had some injuries. They just lost Travis Frederick again. Uh, Tyron Smith hasn't really stayed healthy. So I don't even think his offensive line has been that much of a help. His receiving core is still, I mean, it's good, but it's not chiefs level good. It's not bucks level good. So I don't get where that comes from. And as for how I weigh that when I'm ranking the quarterbacks, I only really – I don't do it based on, like, the names on the depth chart. I just do it if I see it on film. Like, if I see on film that the quarterback has a much easier job, I'm going to say he probably has a good supporting cast. And supporting cast could be his skill players. It could be his coaching staff. It could be a scheme. Like, I think there's a lot of ways to define supporting cast. Yeah, it, it may – so people may have forgotten this, but yeah, you mentioned the offensive line, which is obviously a big deal. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, that 2016 year, he was, I'm just looking up to make sure I'm right. He was fourth in MVP voting for the, for, for the NFL. So I think that's, I think Zeke's perception has fallen a lot, right? right. Um, I mean, there are some, obviously everyone says you have to, you have to resign him. You know, a lot of people, you, you got to pay him a lot, but I think there is at least a weakening of his, of his perception. So that probably has to do with it, has to do with it also. Um, okay, one other comparison that I want to make sure I was going to dig into because I want to work through this with you because I'm kind of conflicted on this a little bit myself is that w- during the offseason, we talked about who are you putting behind Wilson and Jackson and Watson are kind of the, the two guys that are in the mix there. 
I I said Watson, but then I also said that I, I kind of know I'm wrong at the same point. Like, I really think it probably is Lamar Jackson, but for some reason I want to say like uh, Watson. Like if I had to bet my life on it, I would say I just I'd ignore my head and just say it's it's going to be Lamar Jackson. But so so you had Watson and then Jackson. How do you feel about that? Because I feel like there's just something about Jackson where I don't know, like I, I, for, I, we're just not going to fully appreciate it. Even the people who do appreciate him for maybe another year and, and then it'll come out. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just so hard to capture who he is as a quarterback. I thought the same was true with Cam Newton, but obviously Jackson has a better support system around him, a better team that's been built around him. I, I think I would pick – I'm in the same boat as you. Like, And the reason why I think I'm picking Watson, I, pick, I put him third and I put Jackson fourth, is because we've seen it work. Like We've seen that model work because Watson is still – I mean, he runs, obviously, but he's not – that's not where a lot of his production has come from. It's still coming through the air. So that's why I'm more inclined to go with him because it's a sure thing that we've seen before. We've never seen anyone like Jackson, so we really don't know where this is going to go. And there's a lot of underlying numbers that suggest he's never going to do what he did last year. Like his touchdown rate was unsustainably high. We know – we've seen what happens to running quarterbacks, although I do think that he does do a good job of avoiding hits, although that's probably overblown. Uh so that's where I'm just a little uncertain. Like I've always been high on Lamar, but I think it will be his career is going to probably be more short lived or his peak is probably going to be shorter than a guy like Watson. Yeah, it's really it's really tough, I think, because he improved so much of a passer. But I think there are weaknesses, as, as we saw. And I think the Titans exploited. It was one of those things where during the season, um, there was a pushback against this. He can't throw outside thing because his numbers were good throwing outside, but it was one of those. Uh, there's a little bit of like selection bias in there because he did, he didn't throw outside very often though. So it's, it's like if you, do, if you're really good at doing something, but you don't do it that often, the fact that you don't do it that often reveals. It's like Jimmy G throwing deep last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it reveals something about how good you are doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when, um, when uh, Patrick Mahomes was taking over for Alex Smith, people were like, well, Alex Smith was so amazing throwing the ball deep. Patrick Mahomes can't be better than that. But the thing is, he could have thrown a lot more deep because he had uh, Hill and other guys doing it. So I think that's part of it with Jackson is I feel like there there's also this reflexive um, need on the part of some people who are supporters to support him where there are legitimate flaws, though. And, and that, that's the thing that's going to be interesting to see if he can if he can fix those things going forward. Yeah, there are flaws. But the thing with Jackson is, like, if you go back to his college state, he's gotten better as a passer every year. I mean, at some point, it's, he's probably going to plateau, but there's no reason to think that it's going to happen next year. And if he takes a step from what he was as just a strictly a passer last year, I think he's going to establish himself as a clear-cut elite quarterback. But I see why people are skeptical that it's going to happen because there are flaws. Like you said, he's... I don't think he was ever as inaccurate as his critics made him out to be. But, I mean, just watch him throw. There is bouts of inaccuracy. There are times when he makes a bad read. But, like I said, he's improving in both those areas. And I expect it to continue at least one more year. I don't know how much better he he can get in those areas because there are things that don't tend to improve. Like, accuracy doesn't improve significantly. But... Where he, even where he is right now, if he just maintains this level of play, I think he's going to be a, a great quarterback for at least three to four years. 
All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna test something out here before before I let you go. I'm gonna come up with a really inventive name here. I'm gonna call this cover three. I'm gonna give you three questions, okay? And you're gonna answer, and then I'm gonna tell you what the right answer was, even if it's different than what, <laughs> than, than, than what, than what you said it was. So first is I know you are a long suffering. I uh, watched a long suffering, but you know, there's a decent amount of suffering in there. Uh, Panthers fan. So I'm gonna say. You're going to say player, the, the, the player of the franchise. Um, I'm going to give you three choices here. Steve Smith, Julius Peppers, Cam Newton. Who is your choice for the player of the, of the, of the franchise? I already and, or, or if you want to throw in a write-in vote, you can do a write-in vote also if I, if I miss someone there. But I think I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw those three out there because, you know, there was this controversy whether I think it was just Smith and Peppers that were listed on something. People are like, hey, where's Cam Newton? Yeah. I'm – I – I have a feeling you're going to say I'm wrong, but I'm going to say Cam Newton. I'm going to say Cam Newton, even though I think Steve Smith is the best player in the Panthers history. He was my favorite player growing up, but Cam Newton is a quarterback, and I think that's what matters. And I know the numbers don't say he was a great quarterback, but I've seen him carry teams to greatness. Like that 2015 year does not happen without Cam Newton. And that's the most fun I've had as a Panthers fan watching this team. So I'm picking Cam Newton. Yeah, you were you were correct in one way. You're correct that you were that I was gonna say you were wrong. <laughs> because listen, Steve Smith will never listen to this podcast. I highly doubt. Even if there's a point zero point zero zero one percent chance that he may listen to this podcast. And if there's even you multiply that again exponentially, whether I'll ever see him any time in my life. Combine those two facts together. I know I am never when it's close. I'm always saying Steve Smith, just that's in case, just in case we get into. So that's why uh, I I am picking Steve Smith for the for this question here. So my second question. This is uh, this goes back to your your status as a Shanistan. If you this is like coaching value because I'm probably more anti coaching. Coaching coaches don't matter than than you are. So I would say if you could if you could randomly be assigned a top 10 quarterback from your list. Let's say you're, so you say you're starting a franchise. You're randomly assigned a top 10 quarterback from the list. So you don't know. It could be Patrick Mahomes. It could be um, who's 10 on your list here. It could be Matt Ryan. Well, let's say they're younger, though. They're not like they're not old like Matt Ryan. But anyway. So, uh, Sub in Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz or someone like that. Well, let's say it's for one season. That'll, that'll make it easier. So, so, so you one of these guys on here, so you randomly get one of them. It could be the best. It could be others. Or you can know that you have... Kyle Shanahan is your coach, and then you don't get anyone in that in that top ten list, and you you may not you you'll just be randomly assigned anyone from eleven to thirty two, so you have no chance at Mahomes, no chance at Wilson, no chance at Watson, no chance at those guys. You're going to get a bunch of guys that are kind of the same, I would say, including Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe you could get Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, which one do you choose? If I was on another podcast, I'd probably pick Shanahan, <laughs> but I know. That the right you're, not, answer, you're not trying to answer what I'm going to say. I know, say but it, you can say you can you can say what you feel is right. It's also, altering yeah. my mind, like it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's influencing me. I, like just saying it out loud was sounded dumb to me. <laughs> so I'm going to take the top ten quarterback and hope okay. and hope it's not Carson Wentz. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, well, I'll give you that one. Of course, I'm choosing that. Coaches, coaches don't matter. Um, and last here, uh, this is a little bit on the less serious. Um, manner here which which quarterback is gives you better uh meme material here is it um 
short person Kyler Murray or is it Hobo Baker Mayfield? Which is which is a better one that you put oh, together? I thought, I thought you were going to say Josh Allen. That was an obvious. <laughs> okay, we'll throw him in as the third one, Josh Josh Allen. But I'm not sure well, what is the what is the theme with Josh Allen? Just um, that he's bad at <laughs> that, <laughs> that you may be impaled by one of uh, by one of his throws into the stands. But okay, um, but well, let, let, let's stick with the guys that I mentioned. So which okay. which is better? Like a like a real negative, like you, you, Baker just gives you something you can really lay into on on him there. And I think you know the the hobo Baker Mayfield was one of my favorites, where he had the <laughs> you know, like the satchel, he was ready to go. Or you know Kyler Murray, he's just you can just you can shrink him all, all over the place. And I, I enjoy those also. So which one do you choose? I think it's Kyler Murray because I could be more creative. Like I have to use Photoshop more often with him. Uh, and I also like him as a player, so it doesn't feel as mean spirited. I'm not like really a huge fan of, of Baker Mayfield. And I like Tyler Murray. So it's always like funny when Cardinals fans like complain to me in my mentions and say, I'm hating on him. I'm a hater. Like I love Kyler Murray. If you've ever read anything I've written about him, like I think he's the best prospect of the last five years. So I'm going to go with Kyler Murray. And I also think the jokes are funny or like Baker Mayfield just gave me that one moment. Like if he changes his outfit, I can't do it anymore. Kyler Murray can never change his height. Although he did, apparently he did try at the combine based on those reports where people were saying, he the numbers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, where he came in on top of someone else's shoulders in the <laughs> trench coat. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, Kyler Murray is correct. I mean, it's just like, it's just kind of cute, quite honestly. Those little, there's a little Kyler Murray. Like, it's everyone should be happy about that. He may be a little offended, but, 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 but we love <laughs> it here. So, uh, Steve, thanks for coming on here again. I want to plug the work that you've done in the off season. You'll be doing all kinds of stuff, rapid reactions to everything that happens during the season over at for the win. You have a podcast also the counter, correct? Is that, is that still going on during the season? I assume. Yeah, we're going to ramp up that during the, the season right now we're doing division previews. Uh, and I'm really proud of the logo. I made the logo. It's a great logo. That's, that's what I'm proud about. So if, if you don't do anything else, if you don't subscribe or listen, just check out the logo for me. That's what, yeah. Everyone uh, for for podcasting, the logo, of course, is the one is the thing. I don't sure, I don't think it's like a bottle of wine that you buy based that you like you listen to based on the logo, but maybe right. uh, maybe there's some similarities there. So anyway, follow Steve on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, to the audience, I'll be talking at you next week. Thanks. 